Coming up on this episode of AARP's Perfect Scam. There must have been multiple copies of the debit card made because it was all over the country. And within 24 hours, they had cleaned us out. It's so easy to become a victim of one of these people. Another week, another scam. This week, is it really the credit card company calling? This scam will sound familiar to many, and it's definitely one to look out for. We'll tell you what questions to ask and when to just hang up. For The Perfect Scam, I'm Will Johnson, and I'm joined, as always, by the Fraud Watch Network ambassador, Frank Abagnale. Frank, thanks for being here once again. Great to be here, Will. Thanks. Frank, uh, today we have uh, a victim of a re-scam we're going to tell our listeners about. But first, as always, we like just to, to shoot the breeze with you a little bit. And I was thinking about your story uh, this week. And I wanted to talk to you about, and I know people ask you about them, the FBI agent who pursues you throughout the movie and finally catches up with you, Carl Hanratty. Right. Right. His, his actual name was Joe Shea, S-H-E-A. Oh, so was, not his real name. No. Okay. Uh, he, he was on the set along with the two younger agents during the making of the film. He was Steven Spielberg's consultants. And um, he didn't want his real name used, so Tom Hanks made up the name of an old football player named Carl Hanratty and used that instead. Uh, in the book, I use Joe Shea's real name, and Joe Shea, um, uh, it was a uh, real uh, Irishman from Boston, so he did have a heavy accent. Tom Hanks did an amazing job of portraying him. He sounded like him. He looked like yeah, him. Yeah, he does, because when you hear a fake Boston accent, it can be really annoying. Yeah, but his he mannerisms, yeah. everything he picked up, he was great. Joe Shea was a wonderful man. He, he and I were friends for 30-some-odd years. Um, I worked with him a great deal at the Bureau for 10 years till he retired, uh, we remained friends 20 years after. Uh, he died several years ago at age 88, but he lived a great life up until his death. And, of course, uh, one of my books, the uh, Stealing Your Life, I dedicated that book to him in our long-term relationship. He had two daughters, of which I'm very close to today, and uh, it's just a wonderful, wonderful man. It's such an interesting relationship, obviously, the person who pursued you and, yeah. and, and caught you eventually and then sent you to jail. Right, and I think his thing was, as he, he said in interviews, that, in the beginning, I always thought I was chasing this very sophisticated, older criminal. Right. And he said, when I came to realize I was actually chasing just a young boy, uh, his whole frame changed about uh, how he perceived me and what he thought of me. And I think that had a lot to do with probably the father in him. Right. Uh, and there's but, a father figure vibe in the movie. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. And, um, you know, it, it brings up the idea also when he eventually found you in, in France, right? Yeah. Um, were you relieved to go back to the U.S. after spending time in, in institutions and in, in, in jails, prisons overseas that probably weren't so nice? Well, to be honest, uh, I would have been ready to go back immediately after the French experience. But then when I got to the Swedish prison, that was Not kind so bad. of like staying at the Holiday Inn. <laughs> so it wasn't very bad. So I thought maybe I'll just stay here. Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, I knew eventually they'd be taking me back. Yeah. And forgive me, I really have to ask this question. Did you really escape uh, out of the airplane, as in the movie? Absolutely, but not from the toilet, okay. uh, from the kitchen galley where they do service the plane and bring things onto the plane. Uh, when I watched the movie and saw that, my wife looked at me and I said, I did not go through the toilet. All right, so a little poetic <laughs> license there from Spielberg, right, yeah, but yeah. Uh, I was watching it with my 10-year-old and we were we were dumbfounded, you know, to, to I was reminded that that's how you got away in the movie. But nonetheless, you did get out of the yeah. plane and go running off the runway. Yeah. Um, so then after... Uh, now, the interesting thing, let me tell you about yeah, that yeah. part, was that I was not trying to be sneaky. What had happened is, because I was, not a non, I, I was nonviolent, 
in my extradition back to the U.S. became more of a deportation. So the federal government simply asked the Swedish government to put me on board a nonstop flight to JFK, make sure that my passport and all my belongings were with the pilot of the aircraft. So that's what they did because I wasn't a threat to anybody. When we landed, it was about 10 o'clock at night, and we were taxiing on a runway, and we had stopped waiting for a gate. And I was sitting there, and it came to me, and the flight attendant had gone up to talk to the other flight attendants. So I got up and walked to the back of the plane. I was not trying to be sneaky. I disarmed. She had already disarmed the chute, or I would have done it, but she had disarmed the chute. And you knew about disarming a chute from your previous. Yeah, how to open the doors. I knew that from all that experience. Because the average person wouldn't walk back into the gallery. And then I opened the door, and then I basically kind of hung down to jump jump from the plane. Uh, I wasn't trying to be sneaky. First, I thought that when the door opened, it sends an alarm off to the cockpit that the door's been opened. So I assumed they knew. So when I jumped, I had no idea. But what had happened was the door, which was on a swing, swang back closed. I hit the ground and started running to the Van Wyck Expressway. I assumed someone in the tower saw me (laughs) running or so nobody saw me. I went over the fence. So the best part of that story was the pilot hears the alarm go off, but it's just a a ding. And he thinks on impact on the landing, the door juggled or something. So he just cancels it. Uh And then when we pulled up, they tell people, you know, please remain on the flight. Uh, there's some officers coming on the plane. It'll just take a moment. And the immigration customs people came on and Shay. And, and you were gone. I was gone. And they couldn't figure out. And the flight attendant kept swearing. He was there. I saw him. He was there when we landed a minute ago. And I was gone. So that made it even more intriguing. One of the great things about you, Frank, is that you tell these stories like uh, kind of matter of fact, but also like it almost happened to somebody else. And in a way, maybe it did. You were <laughs> right. a different a different guy. person. You were a yeah. kid. Uh, and then 41 years later, uh, y- you're still working with the FBI. Uh, d- have you met others uh, who were either con men or there have, um, I know the FBI interviews people who have done bad guys, if right. you will. Others who have been brought into the FBI like yourself or are you a unique case? Uh, about a few years ago, the Bureau did their 100-year anniversary uh, coffee table book. And basically, I was the only one that they've ever actually brought into the FBI to do the things that I do and teach at the academy. Uh, They have brought in people that are that basically they use to get information out of or maybe use uh, to help them in an undercover case. Jailhouse. Uh, Yes. What's interesting is that I get a lot of emails from uh, especially young men that are in prison that say, I want to do what you did. And um, I I have a great experience in uh, computer fraud or I'm, I'm really good at doing this. And this is what I did and was convicted of. So I would like to come out and work for Microsoft or come out and work for the government. And what I try to explain to them, you just don't do that overnight. You have to build credibility. People have to believe they can trust you. Microsoft's not going to hire you tomorrow and put you in a job just because you're good on a computer. Uh, they they would have to learn to, to know that you've gone straight and that you're doing something positive. So it's not that easy to go go do it. But you, you certainly can turn your life around if you want to, but it's not uh, – it's like not – Thinking you're going to be a millionaire tomorrow when you get out of college is the same thing. You got to learn to get people's trust to trust you, and uh, they learn to get, build that credibility before you actually can do those kind of things. The thing is about these guys or women, men or women who are reaching out to you, you're actually responding. I, I'm guessing you have some empathy for somebody who's done something wrong and maybe trying to change their life. Absolutely. I, you know, I want to encourage them to come out and do something. Uh, with their life. But I tell them that it's entirely up to them. They have to make decision. They want to do it. They want to change their life. And uh, and and some do and some don't. And, uh, but 
they're never going to get anywhere until they make the decision that I'm going to change my life, and that it's not going to be easy. You know, it's, uh, that it's not going to come easy. We got to work at it, but you can you can do it. On this week's episode, we introduce you to Anne. Anne considers herself scam wise, her term, but it's a good one, and would seem to imply that she couldn't be tricked by a scam artist. To be fair, that's probably how a lot of us feel, that we're wise to most of the everyday phone calls from numbers we don't know and strangers asking us for information we wouldn't normally just give out. Unfortunately, one day last year, Anne learned that she's not as foolproof as she thought. We got a call from a woman who said she was from the Chase Bank credit card fraud unit. And I said, okay, what's going on? And she said, we've seen some fraudulent activity on your credit card, and I just need to get some information. And I said, all right, that's fine. I'm glad you called. I appreciate it. Uh, And she uh, gave me the last four of my credit card, last four numbers. And I said, all right, that's good. This is like a scammer, as you're going to find out, uh, actually pretending to be catching a scam, which is, that's kind of, uh, that's pretty tricky. Well, it's a re-scam. And so, um, anyhow, uh, she uh, asked what my name was, my full name, and what my husband's full name was. And then she asked if I could give her the full credit card number, and I did. And then she asked for a uh, my social security number and uh, because my husband had recently been diagnosed with lung cancer my brain was not on a hundred percent a scam guard sure and I gave it to her and then she asked although I said I don't really like to do this uh, over the phone and she said well it's all right I'm from the chase fraud unit and we need this information so at this point did you, you as you said I'm, uh, you it was uh, you you were obviously going through a difficult time with right. your, your husband's health and the, oftentimes that's when they'll get people when they're vulnerable yes i was distracted and did you feel like more or less you were distracted but more or less things were were on the up and up uh, at that point i was becoming a little suspicious but not as suspicious as I should have been. Well, and also they were calling you about something that probably made you, gave you, would, would have given you some anxiety were it actually true and you'd want to follow up on exactly. it. Exactly. She wanted to know uh, what other credit cards we had and what my bank account number was. Okay. And um, at that point, I became extremely suspicious. And I said, I'm not going to give you any more information. But meanwhile, I had given her our address, uh, our Social Security numbers, the full number of the uh, Chase credit card. And um, I, uh, after I hung up, I said, oh, boy, there's something wrong here. And the first clue that I should have noticed was that it was a local number. Um, in the 518 area code. Okay. And maybe maybe that was a reason why you picked up in the first place? Yes. Okay. Yes. And um, then I called Chase Fraud Department, and they said, no, we never, ever, ever ask for anyone's Social Security number. We have all that information. And so when you heard that, what what went through your mind? Uh, um, Words that I cannot uh, repeat in uh, a a polite society. A family-friendly setting, okay. Yes, exactly. (laughs) And I was really worried. Um, 
And so I gave all the information to the real Chase Fraud Department that I called, and they said, we will look into this. Within 24 hours, they, the scammers had physically reproduced my debit card. Oh, my gosh. For our bank account. How, how do you know they were able to do that? Because they were using it uh, for all kinds of charges that you need to have your debit card with you, not phone uh, ordering or Internet ordering, but uh, going into a store and using it. Right. Um, at that point, I called my bank and found out that they had cleaned us out of $5,000. Good Lord. And I called the FBI, uh, and I had also, uh, the day before when I talked to the real Chase Fraud Department, called the state police and the local police. And uh, what I did find out in talking to the FBI when I called them to report this, uh, they told me that there was a scam group coming out of Russia and that they had the ability locally, uh, all over the country, to physically reproduce credit cards and debit cards. Um, and they would look very real. They would have chips on them. They'd have all the magnetic information uh, on the little strip, and they look legit. And uh, finally, the group was caught. Uh, we've never recovered that amount of money that we lost. There must have been multiple copies of the debit card made because it was all over the country. And within 24 hours, they had cleaned us out. And did you know, so along the way, you learned the right thing to do and the right people to call before this happened? Yes. Uh, had you had other scam-type things happen to you, or did you know what to do? Oh, yes. Um, we, and, and we were called by uh, the IRS. And um, I very kindly told the guy that he was a crook and that he should be ashamed of himself, and he was bringing dishonor on his family. Uh, anything else you want to add? This is, this is great information, and, and all of these stories that, and people that we talk to are, are hopefully going to help somebody else out who gets a, a similar call. I hope so. Just, just don't trust anybody on the phone that doesn't give you their ID number, that isn't calling from a recognized toll-free number, and that uh, asks you for any more information, uh, including your credit or debit card number, your insurance number, your health care number. Uh, all of those lead uh, scam artists to your all of your personal information, and don't forget to notify your local law authorities and the uh, and the FBI. Yeah, I mean the bottom line is you don't have to tell anybody anything over the phone. No, yeah. no, right. no. You you can, but you can uh, embarrass them and tell them that they're crooks. And I like your uh, your I, I like your style. We 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 personally, I like it at the AARP. What they tell us is is and what they try to tell people who are who are involved is is hang up. Were you able to uh, talk to your husband or friends or family? A lot of people feel embarrassed when this kind of thing happens. I'm not one of those people.
So, Frank, one thing about this story with Anne is that she mentions that she was distracted. She was vulnerable because her husband was was ill. That's just a scammer getting lucky, I assume, that, that, I mean, for, for the scammer. That was probably just uh, the scammer didn't plan on that. Right. Um, they've gotten a little more sophisticated. So now the caller ID would have said Wells Fargo Bank so that when they picked it up, they're very confident. Yeah, I was going to ask you about that. So you can get a You can easily manipulate, and... especially Russian uh, gangs that <laughs> manipulate the caller ID. So you believed all the Russian gang stuff in this story about the credit cards? Uh, yeah, and... the Russian, as, was, as I mentioned before, that's a $20 billion business, uh, you know, with the Russian gangs that do a lot of these scams in the United States and other countries. And they're creating the credit cards like that all sounds familiar. they're creating the credit cards, okay. yes. So there's a couple of things here. First of all, probably a Russian gang. Uh, they would have been a little more sophisticated today and it would have popped up as Wells Fargo Bank. They would have said, yes, there was suspicious activity on your account. We're from the fraud department. Now, first of all, getting the last four digits of your credit card, that's everywhere. So if you were to buy a ticket today on one of the airlines and then say, email me over the receipt, you'll notice at the top, it gives you the last four digits of your credit card. Right. That's on everything, department store charges, everywhere. So anyone picking up a receipt or anything has got the last four digits of your uh, credit card. So knowing that is not a, a big deal, but it makes people feel confident that must be my must be my bank. And... Uh, Today, we do have chips and cards. The whole purpose of the chip uh, is to keep cards from being cloned. That's the sole purpose behind the chip on the card. Um, when we first developed chip and pin, which was developed by the French, it basically was done as chip and pin and then picked up around the world everywhere except the United States. It's very effective in keeping people from cloning cards, as they did in this case. But we brought it that and adopted that in the United States a couple of years ago, and we went to chip and signature. That immediately took away 50% of the technology's use for a security device because the credit card companies didn't think Americans wanted to remember a four-digit PIN, so they made it chip and signature. So that was a criminal's dream come true. So it basically made it 50% less more secure than it would be, say, in Australia but isn't the chip or France. Very secure? The chip is secure, but again, you have Russian gangs. When you have $20 billion, you can produce your own chips. Uh, you can manipulate the chip. For example, if you take a, a pin and you know exactly where to hit the chip with a little hammer and the pin, you can default the chip. So when I walk in a retail store and they put the card in the chip reader, it cannot read it. So you so, swipe it. So they tell you to swipe it. Right. So they just circumvent And the half chip those right machines there. don't have right. the pin technology yet anyway, yeah. right? So, most likely more than them, I would say more than them having created the chip, they're using that technique of defaulting or putting a phony chip in that can't be read, forcing you to go to a magnetic strip and and swipe it. Um, and that's only if you're in person anyway using the, the chip, right. obviously. You could use a card over the phone, and if you have all the numbers that you need, you've bought something. Right. And there's a lot to be said about four-digit numbers. For example, if I say to you in a, uh, as a telemarketer or someone soliciting you and say to you, I only need the last four digits of your Social Security number, and you say to me, 0918, I'm going to follow that up with, so I, I detect a real Southern accent. And you go, oh, yeah, I'm born and raised in Alabama. Oh, really? You know, you sound like you're my age. I'm uh, 41. Oh, really? No, I'm actually a little older than you. I'm 58. You just told them where you were born and your date of birth. That's the first three digits of your Social Security number. That is a formula used by the Social Security Administration to tell them when it was issued and where it was issued. Then that leaves me just two digits to manipulate. You're really good at that, by the way, yeah. Frank. <laughs> so in 2013, 
the Social Security Administration eliminated that now. And this is why you're seeing Social Security numbers with 888-000 as a starting number that we'd have never seen before. Right. However, anyone with a Social Security number prior to January 1st, 2013, that's still a theme. The three digits represent that information. So they know to scam that out of you through social engineering to simply say things like I did to get that information. So you've got the first three and the last four. Right. So now you're left with 99 digits, and any computer program can come <laughs> to a match of those there you uh, go. numbers. Yeah. I think what's going to happen in the ne- in the very near future, there is a new technology called TruSona, which is T-R-U-S-O-N-A. Um, that stands for TruPasana. Uh, that is a technology that allows you the ability to know with 100% accuracy that the person on the other end of the device is, in fact, who they say they are. So that device, that technology is being used now to eliminate passwords. So government organizations and financial institutions are getting rid of passwords. So let's take a major, let's take one of the top 10 banks in the United States. They spend about $6 million a month in their call center resetting passwords. So that means that bank spends a hundred million dollars a year That's crazy. just resetting passwords. So in in order to, to the ability to eliminate passwords is a wonderful thing because that's why we have most of the problems we have today. Passwords are stagnant; they need to be gone. So Trusona uh, basically does away with uh, the need for passwords. Um, so, for example, when you in about a year's time you'll go up to your bank's ATM, you'll want to withdraw money. You will just take your phone out and you will hold your phone up to the screen at the bank and it'll know it's you. What if somebody's got my phone? No, it, because there is a, there, it, it identifies you because you have entered – when you press your app, you'll have entered a passcode to open the app and on your phone or you'll use your thumbprint to open the phone and it'll know it's, it'll know it's you. So unless so, people – somebody's been able to unlock your phone and then have your phone, it's, it's definitely right. so, a lot safer. So I've had the opportunity to be an advisor to that technology on the government's wow. behalf because the CIA uses that technology. Mm-hmm. So what I, think my, what I think is in the next couple of years, that will be widely used. Passwords will go away. Banks will start using it. Uh, even when you watch TV, you'll hold your phone up to your television and you're into Netflix. You don't need to get through passwords and all of that. So what will happen, I think, is you won't need to say your Social Security number anymore. I'll identify you by your phone or your iPad or your PC that you are who you say you are. Yes, the government will still have your Social Security number as an identifier internally within the government, but you won't be required when you go buy a car or you go do something to provide someone with your Social Security number. And I think that'll be where we get uh, turn that whole thing around. And does that lead into biometrics as well and, you know, movies we've seen for for, for decades, right, yeah. with the eyeball scan the or iris bi- scan? Yeah, problem with biometrics. Biometrics can be easily replicated. Mm-hmm. Uh, this technology you cannot replicate, nor can you replay. So there's no way to reduplicate it. You're you, and I can't do anything about that. So I always tell people about biometrics that if you get a gummy bear, and you press your thumb down on that gummy bear as hard as you can and make it. Hold on, bad guys, stop listening. Uh, now, go ahead. It's not anybody can do this, but it's to prove a point. If you take a gummy bear, which is gelatin, and you press your thumb down on it as hard as you can, it'll make a three-dimensional impression of your thumb. Then take the gummy bear and lay it on your iPhone. It'll open it every single time. Really? So Don't, that and, is, and also all teenagers stop listening. Right. <laughs> so that is why um, now the new iPhone 10 will only scan the veins in your thumb. So it will replicate only your thumb. So once you record the veins and vessels in your thumb, that's how it will read it, not by your fingerprint. So, you know, 
fingerprints. I don't even see veins in my, my I always phone. remind people that fingerprints are wonderful when you go to a crime scene and there are fingerprints left behind, you identify the person. But when you think about it, everywhere you go, you leave your fingerprints. So if you're in a restaurant and I see your glass and you put it down, I go over and pick up your glass, I have your fingerprints. So biometrics is something that can be replicated. It can be uh, picked up and reused again. Uh, so that's why it had to be a technology that couldn't replay and you couldn't reuse and you couldn't replicate. What about the iris scan? Is that something that's Same real? thing. You can – once I record it, I can do a replay. So in other words, what criminals you. do is they send that image and it gets recorded. So if I'm in Russia and I capture that load, that download, I can replay that download. And when I replay it, I have the same information, the same retina, the same everything – uh, that's on that load. So that's why those things are are not really effective. I hear you. The replayable thing is really important. Right, right. Or non-replayable. Right. The three digits on the back of a credit card, is that just adding, I, I don't know if I fully understand, but adding a, three more numbers that make it even harder for somebody to get access to your credit card? I don't know. It seems funny to me. that like still, you, know, you can still see the numbers. There, Anybody can read it. Right. And the whole purpose of that is to verify that you are you are the person holding the card. That's mainly more for online then that's the other thing you need to understand. The chip is the whole purpose of the chip, say it worked 100 percent perfectly, is to keep the cloning of credit cards when there is, say, for example, a breach and someone gets all the credit card and debit card numbers to keep them from going out and manufacturing those cards instantly. They've gone to the chip. However, that does not stop online fraud. So when I go buy something on Amazon, they don't have my card. They don't have my three-digit number. They don't have any of that. So Online fraud then skyrockets because they get away from the credit card, actual possession of the card, and they go commit all the fraud online. So buying airline tickets, all that, I don't need my card. The chip really, really doesn't serve any purpose. It's only for the direct purchase at point of sale. Driver's licenses also have a lot of technology these days, right, that, that protect people? Uh, they have some. They're or that going help law to, enforcement? They're going to a little more sophisticated tech uh, driver's license. They have micro printing on it, which passports is printing you can't too. see. Yeah, uh, passport's much more sophisticated than driver's license. They have a lot of what we call overt and covert features, overt things you can see, yeah. covert things that are in there that can only be read by a machine or a device that you can't see. Okay. Um, she talks about uh, giving the caller a hard time, but we always advise people not to engage. Yeah, why, think, why not? I mean, just a know, good idea not to. Again, this again, these calls are very common. So if I had gone over to the phone, it said Wells Fargo Bank, even on my caller ID, said, hi, this is Robert Johnson, fraud department, Wells Fargo, had some suspicious activity on your credit card. Uh, I might listen to what they say. What is the suspicious activity? Okay. The moment they would ask me any information, I would simply say, I'm going to have to hang up on you, but I will be calling back. Just call uh, back. And then I hang up, take my credit card, turn it over, call the 800 number on the back, get customer service. So I just got a call from the fraud department. This is what they said. That person on customer service may say, let me connect you to the fraud department. Uh, and then when you get someone, of course, they're going to say, no, we didn't call you. And that's a scam. But yes, she's right about the fact that no bank is going to ask you your social security number. They're not going to ask you to reveal uh, your uh, bank account number. They know that. So they're not going to ask you that that information. Obviously, if they're asking you that, they're trying to get that information from you. 
Frank, my colleague who is always in the room for our tapings, Julie. Julie, how are you? I'm well, thank she you. She always has questions, and she's raising her hand, but she uh, has one about calling the pizza place, right? Yes, About I do. credit cards. So uh, about every Friday night, my family and I order a pizza down at the local pizza joint. And the girl who's maybe, what, 16, 17 years old, always asks for my credit card information. I give it to her. She asks me expiration. And then she asks me the three-digit on the back of the card. And I always give it, but I always pause and think, is this right? So tell me, what advice do you have? Should I be doing this? Absolutely not. And most of all, the pizza place should not be asking you that question. And if the credit card company knew that, they would have a hard time uh, with that pizza company. And the reason is that they're only required to ask you uh, for the credit card information over the phone, your name, your expiration date, and the card number. They sometimes will then ask you for your zip code or actually, can you give me your address? Uh, which you do, they already have because you're delivering the pizza to your house. That's all they're required to get. Then their money's guaranteed. Even if your card turns out to be fraudulent or it turns out that you don't pay your bills, it doesn't matter. The credit card company considers that an authorization, and they'll make good to the pizza place on your card. But the, I can assure you that the credit card company would never say to the pizza place, you have to ask for their three-digit number. They don't want them to know your three-digit uh, number. So it's that's just a pizza for goodness sake. That's a right. case where somebody started doing that because they didn't know any better, and that's just a policy of theirs until Check somebody your tells Julie. them. Every so. Friday night at their purchases <laughs> around midnight. So, when so it's it, almost better just to say it's almost better to say to your credit card company, "Listen, this is a pizza place I I do business with. They ask me this, and that Visa will contact them, whoever their credit card representative is, and their or their processor will contact them and say, "Hey." Uh, stop asking your customers for that three-digit number. You're, you're giving them away all that information. When, when they do you can give go the do three-digit number? Just online is uh, what it's... Not even a lot of no. times online. It's just uh, on certain purchases uh, and certain types where the credit card company has told the uh, merchant, you must have the three-digit number, like buying jewelry, something of an expensive item over a certain dollar amount. Otherwise, you don't need your three-digit three number on there. Most of that information about what information and data to get from the customer is done by the processor and not by the credit card company, Visa, MasterCard. They have rules for the processor to follow. So maybe there's a chance that the processor, whoever the pizza place uses, requires that they get that three-digit number on the back of the card. I don't think that's something Visa or MasterCard would condone uh, for the price of an $18 pizza, uh, but that may be the case in... Uh, their processor has told them to get the three-digit number on the back. All right, so something to keep in mind yeah. in the midst of all this. Got it, Julie? I do. So uh, next time so next time I order the pizza, should I say something to the girl as well? Say, I don't believe you need my three-digit number for buying this pizza. Just I'm happy to give my you my pizza. address and my... <laughs> it's Julie. I order I'm every so Friday. I'm so hungry. Please bring me my pizza. Yeah. yeah, so see, this is that whole thing where we give away too much information only because someone asked us something, and we shouldn't give well, we away don't know all that information. Maybe, but right. Right, yeah. All right, Julie. Any other questions or you're good? I'm All right. Good. Okay. We should have Julie on more. All right. Thank you, Frank. Once again, the AARP Fraud Watch Network ambassador and my co-host, Frank Abigail. Thank you. For more information and resources on how to protect yourself from scam artists, visit aarp.org.